minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. You can get all your Pack a Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack a Day Podcast. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can always check us out at cheeseheadtv.com. My name is Kyle Fellows, and I am joined by my co host, Andrew Mertig. Andrew, welcome back to another Friday edition of the show. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, it's certainly an interesting time in the offseason, May- maybe a little bit of a lull, but we do have the combine to look forward to for next week. And I know we have a lot of content that we have planned to talk about today, but I'm going to go off cuff just a little bit because I got done listening to yesterday's show just a little bit ago. Um, and first of all, People on Twitter think that they can call us the second best, or according to yesterday's show, the second banana, and uh, clearly not. So the JV squad can have their limelight if they want. But it's I just have unacceptable. To... I just have to say I don't know how I feel about being called the second banana. But it's a sham, and it's a travesty, and it's a sham travesty, yeah. or whatever. So, anyways, <laughs> I I do want to say though, like one of the things that I really did enjoy about yesterday's show was uh, Steve Perhatch's argument about trading for Antonio Brown, and I thought he actually kind of made me a believer. And we have not discussed this quite as much. I know you've you've sort of been on the don't-touch-Antonio-Brown bandwagon of late, but I thought, you know, he really gave some good arguments, and, and I'm almost to the point where I would be on board with probably giving up pick 44 for Brown, and, and I just love the explosiveness and, and the idea that that could sort of be the Randy Moss acquisition that the Patriots made when their offense became totally unstoppable. So what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I I go back and forth on this, and I was telling you off air that about 12 hours, there was a period of about 12 hours where I was a believer in this idea, and I thought, you know, it is worth it. Um, you know, let's go win now. Let's get this explosive player on the team. And then Brown tweeted something ridiculous about, you know, who ha- whoever has the most guaranteed money, come sign me. And it was just kind of an all about me kind of tweet. And I just feel like this is the beginning of a new era in Green Bay. And Matt LaFleur is going to want to establish his culture. And this is a team who wants to play for each other right now. Um, Devontae Adams has tweeted, you don't. This is not going to happen, basically, is what he tweeted today. Uh, So fans give it up kind of thing. And so I just kind of feel like he's a great player, but is he worth the risk of being a cancer in your locker room? I guess you could always trade him later, but I just still feel like, you know what? I think we can win without him, and I think that that may be the best move at this point. But maybe you should try to sell me on why you you think that this is a good idea. I'm just saying if it's pick 44, you're not getting anywhere near Antonio Brown level value out of that. And then um, my final argument is Quentin Rollins, period. That is a good point. And you do get far enough down into the draft where you start the success rate of those players does drop off significantly. So I can see the third round. I can see the fourth round. And I know you know, you're not going to get him for that just because another team is going to be willing to give up more. Um, But man, I do feel like 44 is still a really valuable pick that if this plummets and he ends up needing to be traded out of Green Bay, 
um, and the damage that he's caused maybe in the process, you may wish that you had that pick back. So maybe I'm being too conservative, but I just, I don't know. It just irks me a little bit that I'm like, I don't know if we need him. Okay. Well, we'll, we will never agree on this, but (laughs) that is enough Antonio Brown talk for today. All right. Let's move on. Uh, you guys can tweet at us and tell tell us what you guys think on uh, Packers Twitter about Antonio Brown. Uh, but we do have a few segments on today's show that we want to get to. Um, we want to take a closer look at each of the position groups on the roster and assess how great of a need these position groups are heading into free agency and the draft. And then later in the show, we're going to turn our attention to some prospects that are popular among Packers fans and might be very interesting to the Packers themselves, but whose draft stock could be significantly helped or harmed based on their performance at the NFL Scouting Combine in in Indianapolis next week. Uh, We want to give you some names to watch and what you should be watching for. Uh, But first, we're going to try to nail down exactly beyond the point of reasonable debate what the Packers' greatest needs actually are, because there are perceived needs. uh, But when push comes to shove, what are the most pressing needs that must be addressed? Because there are a limited number of draft picks and a limited amount of cap dollars that can be used to solve these problems. So it's important that the Packers identify what their greatest needs actually are. And so we want Packers fans to be aware of what these priorities are as we approach the scouting combine and free agency. So we are going to go position by position and use a scale, which we have carefully crafted on a scale of zero to three, uh, zero being that there is absolutely no need to address this position in the offseason, three being the cupboards, cupboards are completely bare, and if we ignore that position, it would just be completely negligent and stupid. So uh, let's start with quarterback Andrew on a scale of one to three I'm sorry I'm messing up my own scale on a scale of zero to three how big of a priority should the quarterback position be heading into this offseason oh I hate doing these scales because I always get them backwards and then I end up talking (laughs) in the reverse order of what I should be I would say quarterback is probably a one Um, And the thing that I was thinking about here a lot is Deshaun Kaiser and his age. And when I looked it up, he is only 11 months older than Drew Locke, who is a potential first-round quarterback. So he's still young. He's still got a lot of potential. He is now getting a head coach who got great things out of RG3 and Kirk Cousins. He made Marcus Mariota look relatively efficient, even though Mariota was playing with a bum right hand. That's tough as a quarterback. (laughs) And now he has an offensive coordinator who had Blake Bortles pretty much a drive away from the Super Bowl. The raw talent is there, and I am not ready to give up on Deshaun Kaiser. That being said, if a guy like, let's say, Case Keenum was cut and for some reason he was available for a few few million dollars, I'd be pretty tempted by that. Finally, I like Tim Boyle as the third quarterback. Hopefully Andy doesn't listen to today's episode (laughs) because simply he has one skill and that is he just chucks the ball deep in the preseason and he really makes things interesting to watch and gives those, uh, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth receivers a chance to make plays and I I really appreciate that out of a uh, third string quarterback yeah absolutely he's the fun guy to watch in the preseason so we've got that to look forward to Um, Andrew and I are on the same page here at quarterback I also gave the quarterback position a one 
I didn't give it a zero because I think most fans and Packers, um, Packers fans and the organization in general would agree that there is potential here, like Andrew said, to upgrade. Um, but I agree with Andrew that I think the Packers will think that a young Deshaun Kaiser has the upside to grow into that player at a cheaper price than you'd probably pay to bring one in, um, especially in Matt LaFleur's new offense. I think they'll think that there's a chance that he sees some growth there, and I highly doubt that they will prioritize spending valuable cap space on a proven vet. Um, one interesting thing here, Andrew, would be what would we do if the if the Jacksonville Jaguars were to cut Blake Bortles and we had the Nathaniel Hackett connection? Would that be a good – is that an upgrade? Like as a backup quarterback? I don't know. Well, I mean, he's an experienced starting quarterback, and you would think you'd get more production out of him than Kaiser. That is something I'd have to think about a little bit. I don't know that Nathaniel Hacker would want Blake Bortles, but I, I have publicly stated that I think Blake Bortles is going to turn into a pretty good starting quarterback at some point in his career. It just definitely won't be with Jacksonville. I could just see him being the heir apparent somewhere. I've heard some rumors linking him to New England and wow. you know, some other places that could potentially develop because oh, there's a lot of raw skill oh. there, uh, a lot of tools. Uh, he just just has no ability to put it together between <laughs> his ears right now. And so if he gets hooked up with the right coach, maybe. Maybe, maybe. And that would be one way for Bill Belichick to cement his legacy, uh, winning a Super Bowl with Blake Bortles. So, um, but let's go ahead and move on to running back. And I gave the running back position a two on this scale, uh, which may seem a little bit high, but I do think the Packers will consider adding a really, um, another piece to this room of Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, especially because both have missed time to injury and because this new offense is going to feature the running game so heavily. I don't think the Packers will invest a ton of cap space in the running back position. Um, let's say this together. Le'Veon Bell is a really bad idea, and that is never going to happen. At least that's my opinion. And I don't think they're going to even spend a first or second day pick on a running back. But I do think that they are going to want to feel a lot better about their depth than they do right now. And they need something better than Capri Bibbs at running back three. So I think there is some room here to improve this room, even though uh, you feel pretty good about Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Le'Veon Bell is a really bad idea. You said, let's say it together. And I Sorry. didn't know what we were supposed to say together. <laughs> so I'll say it after the fact. Nice. I like it. Thanks. Yeah. Capri Bibbs. That's an interesting name that you brought up. I, I gave running back position a one. And I, I think the Packers would be fine going into the season with just Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams and some other person maybe a a rookie free agent but I would love to see them add a dynamic back to add to the mix Capri Bribs that's actually a really great idea I wish I would have thought of it um and they might even use a mid-round pick to build up their depth I'm I'm also interested to see if they would add a true blocking fullback to complete with Danny Vitale Vitale I don't know man I'm not sure is it I like Vitale Vitale or Vitale I I forget uh, but the Northwestern guy, uh, after LeFleur found a lot of success using Jalston Fowler in the second half of last season with the Titans. So his offenses have sometimes had that true blocking tight end and sometimes not. So it will be interesting to see what his philosophy is on that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and then we're, we're going to move into wide receiver. And <laughs> after banging the table for Antonio Brown, I forgot that this was part of the show. So um, <laughs> I'm going to look like a huge hypocrite here. But I actually said zero 
for wide receiver. Um, and I, I'm pretty torn about this, and people are definitely going to think that I'm crazy. But I think Green Bay could go into 2019 with Devontae as the one and Marcus Valdez-Scantlin and Equinemia St. Brown as a two and three and still be really good. The development of Jamon Moore is going to be something to watch, and they have an interesting decision to make with Geronimo Allison. So, yes, I would be all for adding a player, even with a high pick. But I actually don't think that the addition is necessary at all. I think they have the talent in the locker room to be pretty good, though adding an elite weapon like Antonio Brown uh, or somebody high in the draft would certainly take them from being good to great or potentially even better than that. So I gave wide receiver a two on this scale. So Andrew and I disagree quite a bit here about the urgency of this need. Uh, But I think we agree about how much we like the receiver room, which probably makes zero sense. But I, too, love Devontae Adams and MBS and ESB. But where I come up with the need for a level two here is with the departure of Randall Cobb, simply because I think that there is nobody on this roster who profiles as a true shifty speed slot receiver. Um, I actually really like St. Brown as a big slot. I think he has some Randall Cobb-esque movement skills and a big body, uh, but he is not the prototypical slot guy uh, that I think is going to be something that Lefleur wants and actually covets in this offense. So I think that there's a little bit of room for improvement here, although I don't think that that should be someone called Antonio Brown. But let's uh, let's talk about tight end. Uh, tight end received a three from me um, at tight end. I think that this is going to be a big need for the Packers first because Matt LaFleur loves his tight ends and he needs one that can and wants to block. And that's not going to be Jimmy Graham. Uh, secondly, this is probably almost certainly Jimmy Graham's last year in Green Bay. And we know that young tight ends typically need a year or two before becoming impact players in the NFL. So why not dip into this draft that is absolutely super deep at tight end and let that player play as tight end two beside Graham for a year uh, before taking over in 2020? I think tight end is absolutely a top priority for Green Bay and definitely a level three need here. I gave it a two, and I was honestly torn about maybe even going down to one. And that Ooh. sounds that sounds real crazy. You love Jimmy Graham, don't you? Banging the table for <laughs> a change in tight end. But yeah, the Packers need to get better at the position, but they do have Jimmy Graham, who is likely going to be the number one tight end going into the season, even with all of his weaknesses. And then they have Robert Tanyan, who I believe can be a reliable number three. So If you're telling me that the need for the Packers is to acquire a number two tight end, that to me isn't a three. Um, And maybe the need isn't as great as we're all letting on that it is. And they really just need to kind of grab one player in the draft and then develop them alongside of Graham. And then uh, (laughs) offensive line, I, I was, I was having a really hard time with this, honestly. Um, And, and I think, I'm going to end up giving this a one and that is going to be very controversial as well because people perceive that as being a huge need. I think the Packers are in a decent position on the offensive line. They have an elite left tackle. They have a solid left guard, a really good center and a really good right tackle. And yes, the right guard position is awful, but fortunately that seems to be the easiest position to address on any offensive line unit. They need depth at every position, but no team has good depth at tackle. And they might have a few pieces to test out at backup interior positions, like a Lucas Patrick. 
And as sad as this statement is, I'm not ready to give up on Jason Spriggs yet. Nice. Yeah, right? Uh, Tackles with less talent have taken a longer time to develop, and there's still a chance he could turn into a decent backup tackle. So I think they have a lot of pieces there, and um, you know, I I don't perceive that as a colossal need. Nice. Um, Earlier in the preseason this year, all the way back in August, I said that Jason Spriggs was going to be my Devontae Adams of past, uh, you know, who had his struggles, but then came out of nowhere to become this very competent, if not now elite player. Um, obviously, that did not happen for Jason Spriggs, but I'm holding I, out. A- <laughs> I think I actually used TJ Lang as an example when you said that of guys that take longer to develop. Oh, and, uh, oh we both look real bad. Yeah. So thanks for bringing that back up. I know I could just let that one lie. Um, But this is fun because this is another spot where Andrew and I differ a bit. I gave the offensive line a three, so the highest need. Not because David Bakhtiari, Brian Belog, and Corey Lindsley are bad. They're not. They're a great group. But because guard is such a question mark here and because you are probably a year away from not having an answer at right tackle um, should the Packers decide to move on from Brian Balaga. So I think offensive line is something the Packers have to prioritize, especially a guard, but maybe even a tackle, if the right player is available at the right spot in the draft. So um, a big need for me is offensive line. Moving on to the defensive side of the ball, let's start with the defensive line. This is probably one of the strongest position groups on this team. Um, I gave it a one just because I do think you have to start thinking about the inevitable decline of Mike Daniels in a year or two. Uh, But all in all, this is one of the better groups on the team. Kenny Clark is a stud. Dean Lowry is a fringe starter who has played really, really well in his opportunities. And Tyler Lancaster looked like a steal as a depth player toward the end of this last season. So I really like where Green Bay sits with this defensive line group, but I give it a one. I also gave it a one, so I won't spend a ton of time just reiterating exactly what you said. The Packers have a really strong starting group. They have some depth. I think they'll add either a sort of serviceable veteran or maybe a third-day pick into the rotation, but they seem to be in a really good spot. So we'll move on to edge rusher. I think we'll probably have some agreement on this one as well. Um, but edge rusher is a three need to me. It's it's like the red light is flashing urgency. Um, there is a major emergency at this position. And if there's a three in the NFL for need, it is the edge position for the Green Bay Packers. So Clay is likely gone. Nick Perry needs to be cut like yesterday. And Reggie Gilbert provides pretty much nothing. So Kyler Fackrell certainly proved me wrong, and he is going to be part of the solution. But in my opinion, I think Fackrell is more of a really good number three than a guy you want to rely on as a starter. And Kendall Donerson is probably still another season away from becoming the best pass rusher the Packers have had since (laughs) Reggie White, which is inevitable, but maybe not for another year. Uh, And my hope was that the Packers could sign two edge rushers in free agency. But now with the likelihood of a bunch of franchise tags and then that inflation, so many teams um, having huge amounts of cap space is going to create, there may Uh, The Packers might be more likely to get one starting caliber player in free agency and have to take another one really high in the draft. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, we completely agree here. I also gave it a three. Uh, not only does Green Bay lack talent at the edge position, but they simply, like Andrew said, lack physical bodies. After these cuts are made, you know, Perry, Matthews, Gilbert, they're not guarantees to be on this team. Um, in fact, it's likely that all three are not. So the Packers basically need to completely rebuild this position. And I think it's totally possible that Green Bay could target a high-priced free agent and still select a top edge rusher in the draft at 12. That's how big this need is for this team. Um, I'm going to move us to inside linebacker, which I gave a one. I just think I gave it a one because of how I think the Packers view the position, not because I don't think that we could upgrade there, but I think Martinez is their guy, and I really like what he brings. I also think that they'll give Oren Burks a chance to really grow into this role this year. I just don't see them prioritizing this position, and I don't think it makes a ton of sense to spend money to upgrade it in free agency for the names that are probably going to be available and how much that's going to cost. And there are literally only three guys in the draft, in my opinion, who are guaranteed to be better than Burks in their probably first year. So I think you hold tight on the linebacker position this offseason, and it was a, it was a one for me on the scale. Yeah, I give it a two, and that's just because I think Blake Martinez is fine. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. <laughs> That's my evaluation. He's a guy you'd really like if he's surrounded by more athletic players. Um, and, and the Packers are trying to do that. Certainly the development of Oren Burks would be a major coup for this team and really solve a lot of problems. But this is a position that certainly has to be addressed. And if they added two additional players, that wouldn't hurt my feelings. I think they'd be okay bringing back a guy like Antonio Morrison. But um, if you can improve in, in the depth, it helps your special teams and potentially provides you with some additional players. So then we're moving on to cornerback. And I actually gave corner a two um, as a, a relatively high need. Jair Alexander, Kevin King, and Josh Jackson would be a really good trio in theory. The injury concerns with all three is pretty high, and I think Tony Brown could be a legitimate option, but I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see an addition in the draft higher than most people are going to expect, just because cornerback is so important in Mike's, Mike Pettin's scheme. Yeah, I don't think that you're wrong here. Um, I, I actually think you might be right, and it's kind of scary to think about those injury concerns. I think that the cornerback group is better than it has been in years, when it is healthy, you're right, um, which hasn't been very often. And I think the Packers will bank on the development from these guys like Tony Brown and Josh Jackson over investing draft capital in cornerback when they have so many other needs. That said, this becomes a much greater need, in my opinion, if they choose not to bring back uh, Bashad Breeland, which you didn't mention. So if he's out of the picture, I do think it is a pretty thin position considering, um, you know, the injury history and, you know, what you're looking at going forward. Um, but moving on to safety, I gave safety the highest grade that I could possibly give. I gave it a three. Um, I am the father of a three-year-old, so I'm going to spend some some dadness here. But I spend a majority of my time splitting time between watching football and watching Disney movies. And one movie that I've seen my fair share of over the past year or so is The Lion King, going back to the 90s. And when I think of the Packers' safety position, I think of the elephant graveyard in Lion King. It's just that shadowy abyss of nothingness where the light does not touch. Um, I think that Josh Jones could develop into a true strong safety. It's possible. Uh, but Green Bay is going to have to decide whether he's a strong safety or if he's a dime linebacker and how they're going to use him. Um, so 
with how much Petten likes using three safeties on the field at one time, it's kind of scary thinking about the fact that I don't know really for sure one of them that's going to be on the field uh, this coming fall. So this is absolutely one of the highest needs for this team, in my opinion. Yeah, and I didn't think that we'd have much disagreement on edge or safety. I also gave it a three. I'm not sure the Packers have a safety who is a starting caliber player in the NFL, and they will certainly look to add a center fielder in free agency um, or with one of their first three picks. Box safeties typically are much easier to address, and I actually think somebody like Ibrahim Campbell could develop into the answer there, so maybe that's less of a priority, but certainly getting that over-the-top player is going to be crucial. Yeah, absolutely. I really do like Ibrahim Campbell as at least a depth player. I think he was showed that he was definitely worth bringing back uh, this past season. So let's talk about a little bit about our takeaways just from doing this exercise. So obviously, Andrew and I saw a couple positions really differently as I'm looking back through this. I view offensive line and wide receiver as higher priorities than Andrew, but the places that we agreed on were really strong. We both identified edge rusher and safety as level three priorities, and tight end came in right behind those two top needs as a consensus priority as well. So I doubt that edge, safety, and tight end being needs is going to surprise anyone listening to this podcast. I think it's really, you know, what we would expect. But I think it's really useful in this exercise to recognize that we only gave out one zero in this whole process. And so there's always room uh, to improve a roster, to find places within every position to get better. And the key is prioritizing your needs and then assessing what options are available to fill those needs via free agency or the draft or even a trade and being willing to pivot from those needs if the value simply doesn't align and it just simply isn't there. And my takeaway from the exercise is that the Packers are in a really tough position when it comes to edge. I've been alluding to this the past few weeks, but it is going to be incredibly difficult for Goot to address this position. The elite pass rushers like D Ford and Davion Clowney aren't going to make it to free agency. And the middle guys are going to have their prices inflated to incredible salaries because of all the teams with mega cap space that are out there. And to compound that problem, the Packers may see the top five edge rushers get drafted before pick 12. So I was a little surprised that fans on Twitter destroyed any idea about the Packers trading up in the draft. I will be fascinated, however, to see how the Packers address their pass rush throughout this offseason process. Yeah, absolutely. And one way that they are going to have to do that, like Andrew mentioned, is through the draft. And all of that starts next week at the NFL scouting combine that gets underway actually on Tuesday. So we wanted to highlight a few players whose combine performance could significantly affect if and where in the draft the Packers would be interested in selecting them. And we also wanted to give our listeners some storylines to follow during the combine. And so we're going to take just a few minutes to talk about a few specific players and a few specific areas of athletic testing that could significantly impact how teams around the league, but also just Green Bay in particular, will view these players and how the Packers might feel that they fit their system in particular. So I'm going to jump right in here, and I want to talk about one of my favorite players in the draft, one of my favorite edge rushers that I'll be watching in Indy, and that is Florida State edge rusher Brian Burns. Now, first, Brian Burns is one of the few players in this draft that will be just 21 years old for his entire 
rookie season. And we've seen the benefit of drafting young players like Kenny Clark in Green Bay in the past. But Burns profiles as that bendy speed rusher with really good pass rush moves. He uses his hands really well. He's a true technician on top of being that top tier athlete. And so I am obviously a big fan of Burns. But the big question with Burns is his weight. It has been reported that he played around 230 pounds in college, which is obviously lighter than you would like. But when you consider how he's actually pretty decent at playing the run already and the fact that he's currently just 20 years old, you have to think he's going to be able to pack on 10 to 15 pounds pretty easily over the next year or so. Uh, what 20-year-old, you know, when you think about it, has maxed out their frame? That just kind of seems crazy to think that that's the case. So um, come into the combine. How Brian Burns shows up and what he simply weighs in as is going to be huge for him. And honestly, if he weighs in at 245, he's probably not going to be on the board at number 12. So Green Bay might actually want him to show up just a hair on the lean side and then bank on him bulking up from there. Uh, but one thing to watch this coming week, where does Brian Burns weigh in at? Because that could mean he goes top five. It could mean he slips to the end of the first round or even the beginning of the second uh, so take take your eyes and keep them on Brian Burns next week. So you posed the question, what 20-year-old has maxed out their frame? I will answer that question with my next player, wide receiver <laughs> DK Metcalf from Ole Miss. Uh, I, I almost literally pounded the table for him. Um, he is absolutely primed to put on a show at the Combine. So it is said that he was able to bench press 100 pounds as a 5-year-old. That's insane. That, that's a real story. And his his dad and his uncle and his grandfather all played in the NFL. Um, he He's going to bench a crazy amount for a receiver. After all, he does look like the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> he's going to jump really high and really far. He's going to have great shuttle numbers. And if his 40 is as good as I think it's going to be, he is absolutely going to rock it up draft boards. So I'm going to be watching how he runs his routes because he was really only asked to do very simple route trees and route concepts at Ole Miss. But if he does what I think he will, some team is going to fall in love with him and draft him in the top 10. And I actually saw him mocked to the New York Jets at three today. So um, I think other people are starting to get the impression that Mr. Metcalf is going to be going much higher than he was originally thought. Yeah, totally possible he doesn't even make it to the 12. And on Twitter this week, a lot of people were saying that he does look like the Hulk, uh, to which we were joking about, you know, maybe you have to bring in Scarlett Johansson as a consultant just to, like, keep him under control if you do bring him into your organization. So take that for what it's worth. You know, the NFL is always trying new things. Maybe uh, getting into the Avengers here is their next uh, next step. I don't know. And on a side note, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be upset with Skojo wandering around Green Bay. So... <laughs> there it is. Uh, only speaking the truth from uh, from Andrew Mertig tonight. So um, I cheated a little bit next uh, for this next one, and I am going to talk about the entire safety position at the combine. Uh, more specifically, the top tier of the safeties. If you are looking into who the top safeties are in this class, you've probably noticed that the top five experts 
if you look at the top five experts, you'll see five different top safeties at the top of this class. There really is very little consensus about who is safety one. Some really like Deontay Thompson of Alabama, even after his late season struggles. Others like Delaware's Nasir Adderley and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson has really been climbing up in the conversations these last couple weeks. I've even seen some big draft guys who have Jonathan Abram and Taylor Rapp as their highest ranked safeties, which is crazy to me. But that aside, um, I don't think that Green Bay, under any circumstance, will or should consider a safety at pick number 12, but it becomes a very real possibility at 30 and even at 44. And since they are kind of all bunched up together right now in this scenario, picking one at 44 might make the most sense. But if one of these guys can separate themselves from the pack in their athletic testing, they could put themselves in position to be taken by the Packers at pick 30 at the end of the first round. And my prediction is that after Indy, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson of Florida will be the prospect that might not actually make it to pick 30 and a player that the Packers fans will really like who has a skill set to play deep, to play in the slot, to blitz off the edge, and to cover backs and tight ends really well um, as well. So watch out for Gardner-Johnson and Indy, but really this whole safety group to see who can separate themselves as safety one. I, I do want you to appreciate the hypocrisy of this entire show from me. After I said <laughs> the receiver position is a zero need, and then I talked about trading for Antonio Brown, I've talked about wide receiver DK Metcalf, and I'm going to go with another wide receiver. Oh, my here, gosh. And that is Marquise Hollywood Brown from Oklahoma. Um he was likely going to light up the stopwatches at the combine, but his representation did announce this week that he is having Liz Franck surgery and will miss the combine and Oklahoma's pro day. So it's weird that I'm talking about him in a combine conversation. Um, but I had already started to look at his tape and um, I wasn't super excited to see him run because I already know he can do that. And I really wanted to see how he ran routes and caught the ball. I was in love with the idea of Hollywood because he's so quick and shifty with the ball in his hands and really addresses that quick um, slot receiver that the Packers are lacking, like you had talked about earlier. At times, he looks absolutely untouchable, uh, and his West Virginia tape certainly showed that. But I watched his Texas tape, and it was scary bad. First of all, he looked tiny, which isn't the worst thing. There are tiny players that can succeed in the NFL. But against college competition, you'd like to see maybe a little bit less dramatic difference. His route running was outright lazy. He had way too much wiggle in his routes. Instead of making a cut or two, he'd try to give like four or five fakes. And thanks to the Oklahoma offensive line, he had time to do that. But that will not work at the next level. And he dropped seemingly every contested catch. And he's going to go from a guy who can get open absolutely all the time to having to play in tighter windows in the NFL. And you have to show that you can either be a good route runner or... Or you have to show that you can make contested catches to make really have any shot at the NFL. So the team that drafts Brown will have to will will probably be seeing Brandon Cooks or Tyreek Hill, and the teams that don't are probably going to be a little bit more hesitant because they're going to be seeing guys like John Ross or Peter Warwick going back a little further. The interesting thing about Brown is going to be his medical and his interviews, though I doubt he's actually going to do those things this week. But I think this late injury moves him from a top of the second round guy to potentially like a third or fourth rounder. That'd be pretty crazy if he actually did fall that far with all the buzz going at the top of the, you know, of him going at the top of the first round from some of the big draft guys. Um, what would be really interesting to me would be to see a picture of Hollywood Brown standing next to 
DJ Metcalf. And just like, because <laughs> you've got like, you know, like guy who's completely maxed out, like the Hulk, you know, at like 20 years old. And then Hollywood Brown's a little bit older, but I think he's like 168. So, you know, just a totally different deal there. Um, my, uh, my last one here is TJ Hawkinson. And Hawkinson is all but a lock for the first round. But how he tests is going to be very critical for just how high he goes in the first round. And I am one of the people who believes that Hawk might be just worth the 12th pick overall. Now, that said, a tight end getting picked that high or even maybe in the top 10, as some have rumored that he might even go that high. There's just very little precedent for that happening. So uh, TJ is going to have to test really well to convince GMs that can, he can be that game-changing kind of tight end. So how he runs, how he jumps, how he tests, and his explosiveness and his agility drills is going to go a long way in helping us guess if he is actually in play at number 12 overall or if he's that guy that Green Bay would likely probably have to trade up from 30 to get. So uh, just keep an eye on TJ's testing just to see if he really is worth that 12th overall pick all right well we have gone way over time today and that is the (laughs) show this has been the pack a day podcast you can find kyle on twitter at packer underscore pundit and you can find me at andrew mertig please let us know what you thought of our positional priorities and give us your thoughts on how these prospects are going to perform during the combine uh please remember to also follow at pack a day podcast subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing tomorrow's episode is going to be hosted by mike and tyler you can catch kyle and myself every single friday we'll be back next week with our evaluation of the beginning of the scouting combine thanks for listening and as always remember one kick away from the nfc championship game from the 41 left task spot 51 yard Field goal attempt, snap, placement, kick to the upright, and it is right to the It is good, and the Packers are going to the NFC Championship game. And what a happy bunch of Green Bay.